This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Folks, we elected the wrong first Ivy League educated black president of the United States in Barack Obama. Welcome to the program. You know, the tendency is that most of the presidents in, most, in the most recent history that we elect are Ivy League educated even if it's uh, in grad school. And if you think about it, some of the best presidents that we've ever had came from small schools, non-Ivy League educated. George Washington was not college educated. If you look at Ronald Reagan, he went to Eureka College. But now the tendency is only Ivy League grads need apply. Every sitting member of the Supreme Court is Ivy League educated. And I'm not knocking an Ivy League, League education but it seems to be a narrow view of the world. And so when you get all these people together running our institutions of government, you're going to get a narrow view of things. So I, I'm not suggesting that we didn't need to cross that hurdle of the first black president. I'm not one of those that, that was real hung up on this. But it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but we elected the wrong one. And I feel the same way about the first woman president. I would say that shouldn't be the first qualification, but if one comes along that has the other things, I say, yeah, if you want to throw that in, and it's a plus two, but I don't think we need the first woman president, especially not Mrs. Bill Clinton, that crook. So I came across this article from thefederalist.com. It's by John Gibbs. Let me read his bio. John Gibbs has worked at Apple as an engineer on the iPhone and has taught technology in Japan, being fluent in Spanish. John holds a B.S. in computer science from Stanford University and a master's in public administration from Harvard University, John F. Kennedy School of Government. John penned an article, and it's entitled, If You Don't Want Police to Shoot You, Don't Resist Arrest. It goes on to say, It saddens me that what little is left of the black civil rights movement is spent defending thugs, hustlers, drug dealers, and troublemakers such as Mike Brown, Eric Garner, Freddie Gray, Alton Sterling, and Philando Castillo. Can you believe we've gone from honorable causes like fighting for the right of black people to attend college to defending black criminals who foolishly mouth off against, run away from, and fight with the police, police who are putting their lives on the line to protect us from criminals? Can't the protesters at least defend young black men of honor? Quiet heroes going against the grain by wearing their pants around their waist, refusing thuggery, weed smoking, and hustling. Those who marry one woman, woman have all their kids with that one woman, proactively raise those kids to be successful, productive citizens, and love only their wife and no other woman. Those who work an honest job with integrity, intensity, and discipline, no matter how menial, menial the work. Note, selling illegal cigarettes on the street or bootleg CDs on the corner doesn't count as honest work. 
If a protest were held against the oppression of such young black men, I'd be the first to join in. Yet every time I hear of a black man being killed by the cops, he's not the man I just described. He's almost always a criminal thug I have no desire to defend. Hardly our best and hardly what Dr. King died for. It's easier to blame everyone but yourself. You see, unlike those men recently shot, I do not fear for my life from the police. Quite the contrary. My life is made easier and safer by the police who stand between me and people like Sterling, who is much more likely to break into my car or stick me up at night compared to any harm that might come to me from a police officer. The fact is, the police are not shooting black men like me. Why? Because I'm not a criminal. And when the police stop me, I politely do what they say, and they leave me alone. I do not run away, fight back, or mouth off. It's really pretty simple. Why is no one asking how these men's families and communities fail them so badly that they became criminals or thugs? If you look up tough in the dictionary, my grandmother's picture will come up. If you were raised under her and acted up after she got done with you, you'd wish the police had gotten to you first. I'm glad my father was raised in such an environment. Discipline happens in the home, and it starts early. When it doesn't, the police are left to clean up the mess of deeply broken human beings who are already doomed before their first interaction with the law. It's totally unfair to ask the police to treat hardened criminals with kid gloves. How did we get here? The welfare industrial complex has produced generational government dependence that has devastated black families and communities and created the criminal underclass of black thugs that the police today are killing. I wonder what Black Lives Matter has to say about that. Will they unequivocally call for an end of welfare, food stamps, and government-subsidized housing that have replaced the black father and thus return the role of provider to the black man where it belongs, not the government? Will they call for a complete end to illegal immigration and to burdensome regulations and taxes that make hiring Americans too expensive? After all, these things reduce rate wages, increase unemployment, and harm the ability of young black men to get jobs that provide for a family. My guess, don't hold your breath. It's just so much easier to blame the police, white privilege, and institutionalized racism. Yet amid all the hype, let us not lose sight of reality. No matter how much the media attempts to stir up racial strife, the fact is about 70 black people are killed by other black folks for every one killed by a white police officer. White police killings of black people are simply a non-issue compared to what black people do to each other, unfortunately. So no, despite the prevailing atmosphere of hysteria, I am not afraid of being killed by the police. Quite the contrary, sadly, the data shows I'm much more likely to be victimized by a fellow black man than by a white police officer. So may the police remain sharp, aggressive, and strike fear into criminals so the good people don't become victims. Wow. It's just, it's stunning, even though you've heard me mouth these same words. It's just refreshing that other people kind of get it, black people. You notice I didn't start out by calling John Gibb black. It's irrelevant, but he happens to be, and we don't have these kind of black male role models. All right? Instead, we get the inflammatory rhetoric from people in powerful positions, like Eric Holder did, like Loretta Lynch does, 
like Barack Obama does, blaming institutional racism and all this other nonsense, when we're talking about school failure, we're talking about flawed lifestyle choices made by the individual to join gangs, to use and sell drugs, to not remain consistently employed, like this gentleman said, no matter how menial the work might be at the time, to raise your kids. No, the police have become the low-hanging fruit. They're easy pickings. Why? Because they really don't have a voice and they really don't fight back. You know, I've been in policing for 38 years, and the unwritten unwritten rule is, you know, don't engage in political discourse. Just keep your head down and just go out and do your job. We try to keep politics out of policing. And that's why, you know, there's this unwritten rule. But I don't think that's tenable anymore in light of the fact that we've been dragged into this political environment by these leftist liberal hacks and uses a whipping post for their failed urban policies. Liberal urban policies. The majority of these deadly interactions between police and these criminals occurs in urban centers, the American ghetto where most of the assertive policing is needed so that good law-abiding black people can at least live some semblance of a peaceful life. Coming up in the next program, we're going to talk about this Dallas situation. We're going to kind of break that down as I saw it. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Sheriff. Okay, in this segment, let me start with a correction. I said that John Gibb, John Gibbs um, was fluent in Spanish. He's fluent in Japanese. How cool is that? How many non-Asians do you know are fluent in Japanese? Wow. Anyway, we're a little more than a week removed from the horror in Dallas when a black racist started attacking indiscriminately white police officers. He said he was on a mission to kill white people. He was out there to avenge for Black Lives Matter. It was just a horrible, horrible scene, and not because it was police officers per se, but just the the bloodshed, the innocent lives that were traumatized. I mean, he, he wounded a couple citizens, too, who attended that rally. I'm not going to break down the, the rally you you or the situation. You kind of know. Uh, what I like to do, and I've said that before, is when these things happen, I, I like to try to sit back and, you know, take my time, let some of the thing evolve before I start 
opining and, and analyzing it. You know, the tendency now, especially with the media, I mean, everybody is running around. Everybody's talking off the top of their head. Nobody knows what they're talking about. All these experts come out of the wall, including uh, law enforcement officers who have been removed from the game for quite some time. You know, they were they were on the street in the 70s and 80s. And the game has passed them by. Policing is different. Society's different. The way pe- uh, police officers are trained is different. They're more educated, more professional than we were in the 70s. And so you get to hear the perspective of people who, uh, you know, I'm going to be straight with you. They really don't know what they're talking about. Okay, they're, uh, well, you know, the media has to keep the thing moving. And so they reach out to people. And they feature me uh, frequently. Don't get me wrong. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm still in the game. I'm still in law enforcement. I'm a law enforcement executive. I have 38 years of experience in urban policing, modern policing, modern techniques. It's one of the few things that I will say that I'm an expert about. I don't really like that word, expert. So, I sat up there listening to all this hysteria going around, the talk shows and the news accounts and Everyone was talking around the issue. Okay, you had the incident. It was okay to talk about the incident. Hey, five law enforcement officers killed, many more wounded. You know, this this black racist out there killing white people indiscriminately, that's news. But then in the days that follow, when there's not a lot more they can say about the incident, that's when they go into phase two. And phase two... Just like we always do. We did it after Orlando. Phase two was we were talking about gun control. When I say we, not you and I, but the left. But then the whole conversation that we obliged them and we took the cheese. We were talking about gun control. Or, you know, gun control doesn't work. That, that wasn't the issue surrounding Orlando. That issue was radical Islamic terrorism. So we get to this situation here in Dallas. And all of these are different. But there was an elephant in the room. And everybody talked around it. They ignored it. And so what I did, as the week went on, and I was doing news accounts, I tried to bring this thing, transition back into what's really going on here. Because the police became the straw man. Oh, it's the police. We have to do something about the police. We have to do something about police and community relations, especially in minority communities. And oh, it's the police need to de-escalate. And all the police need to be retrained. And all the police need to be more sensitive. And I'm listening to this crap. And I said to myself, and I said in some of the interviews, I said, Let's talk about this. What leads to so many instances of interactions between young black males and police? Crime. Underclass. Black underclass. Crime. Who are the police after? Criminals. Why do we have so many 
interactions involving the law enforcement and the criminals in our urban centers because it's heavily populated, densely populated with underclass black males involved in criminal activity. Who are the police after? Criminals. Who are they out there looking for? Who are they likely to stop? People engaged in suspicious behavior. Now ask yourself this, who's overrepresented in involvement in violent crime? Young, black, males. That might be an ugly truth, but it's still the truth. You just heard John Gibbs talk about it. Why is it always that these thugs and criminals are the ones being killed in police interactions? It's not the young black man who attends school regularly, who's holding down a job, who's maybe in the service, maybe home on leave. It's always some thug. And that might be an ugly reality, but it's still the truth. But everybody in, in this, this, this post-Dallas wanted to focus on changing police behavior and police tactics. Tactics that work, by the way. This is the low-hanging fruit. And nobody, nobody wants to talk about the flawed lifestyle choices and behavior of too many black males as was described by John Gibbs. Things like gang involvement, drug involvement, weapons violations, criminal behavior and activity. No one wants to ask, where are the dads? Where are the fathers? See, that's the hard stuff. And I'm going to be real honest here. The left doesn't want to talk about it for obvious reasons. They caused much of it. They set the stage anyway with the welfare industrial complex. But people on the right, white folks, they're afraid of it. They don't want to talk about it. Why? Because you don't want to be called racist. That's, that's the model. See, they, they come out and they attack you. You become the bad guy. And people are like, I don't need that mess over here. I get that. I thoroughly get it. And I'll take on that job. Not white, but... I'll take on that job, calling this stuff out for what it is. Urban decay. The growth of the underclass. It has nothing to do with the police. These police interactions are not caused by the police. But we run from this stuff. You know, Eric Holder said when it comes to race, we're all cowards. Well, some people are. I'm not. But see, the left pushes it in a direction. They, they, they pull out the shiny object. After Orlando, it was guns. When it was really radical Islamic terrorism. After Dallas, it was police behavior. There's nothing wrong with the police. And the police do not need to change. We're going to go after another aspect of this in the next segment. We're going to talk about Black Lies Matter. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. 
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. Available August 2nd. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash liars. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, welcome back. Continuing on this situation in Dallas, Texas, five of the Dallas area's finest executed by lone, at least up to this point, black gunman who said he was looking to kill white people and white police officers to avenge for Black Lives Matter. It was kind of interesting because when the motive started to surface, this was put out by the uh, police chief of Dallas Police Department. President Barack Obama said, you know, the motive of this, of, of this may be difficult to untangle. What? Isn't it funny how when Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, went into a black church in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed black people in prayer. The president quickly determined that racism was alive and well in the United States. But now a black guy who makes it clear I'm looking to kill white people and white cops for Black Lives Matter, President Obama says the motive may be difficult to untangle. I mean, this guy, it's, I wonder if he, when he looks in the mirror, does he say to himself, oh man, do I have to try to convince these people of this? Or or does he just really believe that we believe every word that comes out of his mouth? This is incredible. This was black racism on display before America and the world. But now it's a little difficult to untangle. And of course, the, the, the president didn't waste any time bringing in gun control once again. You know, here's what he does after a crisis. He reaches down for his political agenda and he says, let's see what I can exploit to accomplish my political agenda. Oh, hey, some guns were involved? Good, gun control. Oh, race was involved? Good, racism. And he goes down the list and he comes up with a couple of topics and then he issues a statement based on that. And then he intersperses it sometimes with, you know, our thoughts and prayers. Are with. He doesn't mean that crap. He doesn't mean one word of it. It is insincere. The guy has no soul. He's incapable of feeling. He hosted this hate group, Black Lives Matter, to the White House. This guy has crawled in bed with this sadistic, 
subversive group. And any law enforcement officer, any law enforcement officer, I don't care what your politics is, that thinks this guy supports the police is pretty naive. And any police officer or law enforcement officer at any level who casts a vote for Mrs. Bill Clinton in November is selling out their profession. These two are cop-hating politicians. So let's talk about Black Lives Matter, as I call it, Black Lies, L-I-E-S, Matter. This is a dangerous ideology, folks. They preach hate and violence in the name of virtue. As far as I'm concerned, they have no grievance. None. Zero. Their complaints of, of rampant and systemic racism in police agencies and systemic racism in the criminal justice system is patently false and without merit. It is pure emotional rhetoric, emotional junk. It's a fairy tale. I have all of the research and all of the data that you're going to find to prove it. They have none. Zero. It's pure emotional junk. Now, the reason why they get away with this is because there are too many people in the liberal mainstream media who are walking around on eggshells afraid to criticize Black Lives Matter, afraid to confront them with the plethora of data and research that dismisses their false narrative. And by doing that, the liberal media, and they're refusing to confront this ideology with their lies and confront it with the truth, it gives legitimacy to these riot starters. Yes, that's right. These are riot makers. They're trying to resurrect the riot era of the 1960s. Here's some of the tactics they engage in. This is why I said this is a dangerous ideology. They engage in subversion, race politics, race demagoguery, psychological warfare, hate propaganda, And they want to demolish the rule of law. They want constant chaos in the place of social order. Why do you think they call for all these rallies? They're agitators. So ask yourself, what do we need to do? I think it's quite Clear. It's not simple, but it's quite clear. I'm calling on the people of this nation to rise up, speak with one voice in condemning and shunning this vile, vitriolic, and hateful movement 
before any more blood is shed in the name of Black Lives Matter. That's what we need to do. We need to stare this ugly, hateful ideology down. And we must be vocal in doing it because the liberal mainstream media will not do it. As a matter of fact, as far as I'm concerned, they are the propaganda wing of this racist, hateful ideology, Black Lives Matter. The President of the United States has stood up there and fanned the flames of this racial discord. He fans the flames every time he opens his mouth. Some of it is is code language, some of it's dog whistle, but some of it is blatant. He just comes out and says it. People of color know that in police stops, they're treated differently. He just planted that seed in their head. There's no foundation for it. What did John Gibbs just say? I'm not afraid of being stopped by the police. He's not the only one. And and don't make this mistake. Don't think that this is the prevailing sentiment of black people in America, because it's not. I know a lot of black people. You know what? They shun this nonsense. They do. But they can't come out and be real vocal about it because you know what's going to happen to them. All right, the same thing that'll happen to you and they just don't need the trouble. Like I said, I'll do the heavy lifting. Put it on me. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. The purpose of that NBA is a reminder. Nice career you got there. Be a shame if something happened to it. Nice house you got there. Be tough for you if you couldn't make those mortgage payments. That's all it is. That is its function. The deep state situation within the U.S. government is that the bureaucracy has, and increasingly we've seen over the last eight years with Obama in office, the bureaucracy has been weaponized for political purposes. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Okay, into the final segment. Folks, what the heck is wrong with the Republicans in Congress? Now, you've heard me rail on them incessantly. And with good reason. I'm not going to blame all Republicans or the entire GOP or RNC, because I think at the state level it works. But this is one big ruling class in Washington, D.C., Democrats and Republicans, the ruling class. Now, we spent the first two segments of this program talking about what the real problem is in America as it relates to crime, as it relates to police, and this constant War and attacking the police. So I want to set you up with my my question. What the hell is wrong with the GOP in Congress? 
save a few. There are some decent ones. All right, Senator Jeff Sessions is an example. I had a very nice conversation with him on the phone this week. And as I indicated, a lot of these conversations I have with people, I kind of keep private. They're not confidential or anything, but I just I, I don't feel a need to relay what we talked about. And I can name some other ones. Okay, Senator Purdue, Tom Cotton, and I can name probably, you know, out of 53 or 54 GOP senators, you know, I would say 25 to 30 are probably pretty good, maybe even 35, but that's not enough. It's not a critical mass to force this conservative or constitutional or common sense agenda. So let's set it up this way. This is from Crime and Consequences. And this is by Bill Otis. It says, The Baltimore Murder Fest, A Glimpse of America's Progressive Future. I've often said we don't need more data to know how to fight crime. We already have 50 years of data. When we have more police, more aggressive policing, and more incarceration, crime goes way down. When we don't, it goes way up. Those who refuse to see this are in denial. Either that or they're lying. I'll I'll go with the fact that they're lying. From liberals, the defense bar, and the White House, there's plenty of both. If more data were needed, however... We have that too. It's the city of Baltimore, a liberal mecca that brooks no police misconduct. Indeed, it brooks so little that it puts the police on trial for murder. Whether or not they're guilty thus far after three tries in the Freddie Gray case, no court has found that a single one is. After Baltimore welcomed its riots and targeted its police, metaphorically for a moment, the predictable happened. It has become the murder capital of the East Coast. The spike in violence is shocking by any standard and particularly shocking if you think black lives actually matter since most of the victims are black. And I would say Chicago is the murder capital of the western part of the United States. That's not in this story. Back to the story. If you're waiting for an Obama speech about it, however, you'll be waiting a long time. Paul Miringoff has the appalling story, emphasis added. Listen to this. Jeremy Schofield was was gunned down in Baltimore on Sunday, one of three murder victims in the city that day. Today, Schofield's family held a vigil for him. During the vigil, a gunman fires at attendees at a vigil. You see what I mean when I say this is a dysfunctional culture? Back to the story. Baltimore has descended into chaos since, in the aftermath of Freddie Gray's death, the city failed to back its police force. Murders surged a staggering 63% in 2015, with 344 people killed. This year hasn't been quite as bad so far, but the murder rate remains abnormally high. Meanwhile, Baltimore's police force is shrinking dramatically. According to Blake Neff of the Daily Caller, at the beginning of 2015, Baltimore had 2,805 police officers. By the end of the year, the force was down to 2,634, a drop-off of 6.1%. In June of this year, there were only... 2,445 officers in the force, a decline of 6.8 since January. So, you know, here, let me finish this out. 
If you want to know where America is headed under a progressive race-huckstering anti-police agenda, you don't have to look far. Then there's this. Police identify man charged with shooting at D.C. officers. Police in Washington have identified a man accused of firing at several officers after a robbery and carjacking early Tuesday. This is the D.C. area. A police news release said 22-year-old Lavelle Alverson of Suitland, Maryland, has been charged with armed robbery, kidnapping, and assault on a police officer. I would say it's attempted murder. Just because you don't kill them doesn't mean that they weren't trying to. You don't shoot at cops just for to scare them. Police Chief Kathleen Lanier said the gunman carjacked an SUV with people inside after robbing four others at gunpoint. Then she said the man fired on officers from inside the vehicle and officers returned fire. Lanier said it was a miracle that officers, no officers were killed. Police said Alverson was arrested after being shot in the leg and trying to get away. So where am I going with this? What did I ask at the onset of this segment? What the hell is wrong with the GOP in Congress? Because then there's this story. House setting up bipartisan group to examine policing. Now, if you heard the first segment, I said they're working on the wrong thing. Once again, the GOP falls for the shiny object. They take the cheese. The police are the problem. Let's examine the police. You heard the two stories I just read. And the police are the problem? What Congress, Paul Ryan here, I'm going to read this in a minute. What they ought to be examining are the failed liberal policies of these urban ghettos. What they ought to be examining is the the link between underclass values and this crap that we see going on today with all this violence. No fathers around to shape the behavior of young men leads to these young men growing up to be Aggressive misfits. Why don't they examine that? All they have to do is go back to Daniel Patrick Moynihan's report. He already examined it. Moynihan didn't examine the police. This is more of that feel-good crap. Hey, maybe they'll like us. If we get into bed with them. So here's what this says. House Speaker Paul Ryan said a new bipartisan group in the House will examine policing issues in America. Ryan said that he's spoken with members of the Congressional Black Caucus and others on how to come up with solutions. Well, there's a mistake right there. These are the goofs that were sitting in the well of the House with hands up, don't shoot T-shirts and their hands in the air. Back to the story, creation of the, creation of the working group follows high-profile killings of black men by police, as well as other sniper killings in Dallas of five police officers by a man who said he wanted to kill white people, but they're not going to examine the killing of black men by black men. It's not in this story. The events have roiled the nation and attracted attention on gridlock Capitol Hill through a legislative response by, though a legislative response by Congress seems unlikely. No kidding. Ryan spoke of the new working group on CNN Tuesday of all places. See what I mean? They just want to be liked by the Democrats and by the left. House GOP aides said more information would be released on Wednesday. Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlatte is asking for a lead. It's taking a lead role. This is 
insane. I I don't get this. They're they're working on the wrong thing. You need to fix the ghetto. Stop trying to fix the police. Boy, are we in big trouble. Unless Donald Trump gets elected president of the United States. That's all we have time for today. Follow me during the week on Twitter at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E, and at thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you. David Clark, The People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.